God loves you. So, that said, today we come to the very end of our series, Reading Between the Lines. And this, I have to admit, has probably been one of my favorite series that we've done and we've gone through. And I've heard from various different people about how, how interesting this has been and how important it's been and how challenging it's been and how eye-opening it has been, okay? And it's been, it's been fun for me to hear back from you. In fact, I got an email this week from someone in the church just saying, man, this has been an incredible series. In fact, in the coming year, in 2020, my goal is to read through the Gospels applying what we've learned. Learning to read, I'm sorry, not the Gospels, the New Testament. Learning to read the New Testament in its context. And he even sent me a picture of his plan for the year. That's it. He wrote it down. He's like, here's what I'm going to be doing. And I'm going to hold him accountable to it. Okay? He's set out for 2020 to read all of the New Testament in context. And my friends, that's, that's what this is all about. That's what this series is all about. Okay? And, and so when we read this and understand that, that, that it's not just about knowing that we've got to know the Bible in context. As we've read about these different, or talked about these different, uh, uh, you know, ideas and different ways that we look at Scripture in order to understand it in its context. It's not enough to know it, okay? It's not enough to understand it. We have to ask the follow-up question, which is this. What are you going to do with what you know? What are, <laughs> I like the author of that question. What are you going to do with what you know? It's not enough to just know it. It's not enough to just understand it. Okay? What separates you and what separates me from other people who claim to be Christians but don't show Jesus through their life the difference is what we do with what we know. That's where the difference lies. Okay? And, and I, love, uh, I love what uh, A.W. Pink said. And, and I, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. And this has become one of my favorite quotes. And it's this. The Bible does not yield its meaning to lazy people. We got to work for it. And that's where understanding context, reading the Bible in context comes into play because it's work and the best way for us to know who God is and who God has revealed himself to be and the best way to know why we were created and the purpose for which we were created is to know the Bible in its context and it takes work and the Bible does not yield its meaning to lazy people Understanding, oops, understanding the Bible in its context helps us to understand God better. It makes us better disciples of Jesus. But it's what you do with that information. As we've talked about the different contexts that we look at, uh, uh, the culture, the visual context, the, the geography, and the history that Rick talked about last week. Okay, as we, as we talk about, you know, the different genres of scripture, those all matter in our understanding of what God is saying to us, okay? 
But here's the thing, and I want you, I want you to hear this, all right? When the Bible was written, there was zero understanding of our context. Let me say that again. In the, the thousands of years ago, when the Bible was written, there was zero understanding of our context, okay? It's a Middle Eastern written book by people who lived in the Middle East in a culture that is radically different from ours at a time significantly far away. It had no idea what our context was. And so here's, here's what that says to me. And I was, as I was preparing for this message, and I was thinking about this, I feel like God gave me this really insightful thought, okay? And it's this. Our context is irrelevant to the Bible. You realize that? Our context, the context that we live in today, in the United States of America, in the year 2019, about to be the year 2020, it's irrelevant to the Bible, but the interesting thing is that the Bible is relevant to our context. Our context is irrelevant to the Bible, but the Bible is relevant to our context. Which leads us to the quote that we have used throughout this series. Okay, If you've been here, you've heard it. It's very insightful, very helpful as we understand what it means to read the Bible in its context and, and how important that is. Eugene Peterson, writing in his book, Eat This Book, talked about a conversation he had with a rabbi, and the rabbi said this, for us Jews, studying the Bible is more important than obeying it. Because if you don't understand it rightly, you will obey it wrongly, and your obedience will be disobedience. Okay? And I believe that's what it's like for a lot of good-meaning Christians today. That we don't read the Bible in its context, therefore we don't really understand what the Bible is saying. And we act out what we believe the Bible is telling us to do, but we're acting improperly or disobediently because we don't understand the context of that scripture that informs us today of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we've worked over these last four or five weeks just through the grid of these different ideas of, of context, of culture of geography, of history, of genre, okay, of visual impact. And today we come to the last one, and I've, I've been so excited about this last one. And as even as we share this, I want to remind you, um, if you, if you have not been here, if you've missed one or two of the messages, if you go to our website, mylcc.church, you can listen to any of the messages, and I highly encourage you to listen to them. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they are foundational to what it means to be a disciple. I'm not saying that I'm a great preacher. I'm not saying that Rick was, is a great preacher. What I'm saying is that truth is truth. And in order for us to understand what, it, what God expects from us as his children and his followers, then we have to understand context. In fact, we're probably going to do another series that talks about context this exact series probably in a year and a half or two years because we believe it's that important to us as disciples now throughout this series i've shared with you that my good friend brad gray wrote an ebook that you can that you can actually download all right and that ebook is called the number one mistake most everyone makes reading the bible 
Okay, that has been kind of our text, helping us along, giving us insight and, and, and things like that in these different con contextual ideas. And, and for those of you who have downloaded it or you've grabbed a, a, a copy of it in the back, and let me just stop for a second and just say this. This book is incredible. It's not super long, but it's so helpful, and it's got a ton of resources in it. And if you're interested and you haven't done it yet, then you can go to walkingthetext.com, and you can put in your email address and download the book and read it yourself. If you don't have access to a computer or a printer, we got your back, okay? Right in the back, back here on the two different tables, there are copies back there. You can grab your own. It's free. Take it with you. We want you to have it. Okay, but as you're reading it and as we've gone through this series, there have been different things that I know people look at and the pastor even today and go, hey, wait a minute. Brad wrote that. Doug's ripping Brad off. And you're right. I am ripping Brad off. I'm telling you that right now. Okay, because what he has to say is so good. And so today we come to the one that I'm so excited about. This this one is this this cultural um, contextual idea is foundational to everything else we're going to talk about, okay? So before we go any farther, let's just take a moment and pray, all right? Would you bow your heads with me? God, as we move into this last, last um, contextual idea, this last contextual thought, God, would you speak to our, our hearts? God, would you inspire us? Would you excite us? Would you light a fire underneath us? That we would no longer be satisfied with reading one or two verses of the Bible and calling it a day. Or even reading a chapter or a book. But God, our, our earnest desire would be to read it in the context in which it was written. So that we can understand you better. And be better followers of Jesus. Be with us right now, we pray God. In Jesus' name, amen. So before, before I reveal to you what today's... Uh, context is, I, I want to start out by, by, by talking about different words. In fact, there's a book, this particular book by Steven Pinker called The Sense of Style, The Thinking Person's Guide to Writing in the 21st Century. And in this book, Pinker actually says that there are words that we use in everyday conversation or, you know, every other day that we use absolutely incorrectly, that what we think it means and what it actually means are two different things. And so I read through some of the words, and I was like, oh, my word. There were words I was like, no, right? So check it out. Let's, let's do a few of them, okay? The word disinterested. Disinterested. Now, I imagine that there are some of you who are like me that you, you think disinterested means a particular thing, right? So check it out. Check out what disinterested. Disinterested means unbiased and does not mean uninterested, now, I will readily admit that I have abused that word, okay? I have used disinterested incorrectly. Anybody else wanting to raise their hand and say, I have it? Yeah, look at that, okay? You all are liars, okay? So, I'm just kidding you. Some of you are. Anyway, all right? So, disinterested. It means unbiased. It does not mean uninterested. So, the correct usage would be the dispute should be resolved by a disinterested judge. Not, it's not saying a judge who's sitting up, you know, behind the desk playing Candy Crush because he doesn't care what's going on, right? No, he's unbiased. And then, uh, and then the other one is, why are you so uninterested in my story, right? Okay, how about this one? Enormity. Enormity. 
I read, when I read this one and I read its actual meaning, I was blown away. I imagine you will be too. Because I bet that there are a number of you who think like I do, you know what enormity means. But check this out. This is what enormity means. It means extreme evil. Not enormousness. How many of you would agree with me and say, I thought it meant enormousness, okay? You have a lot of us, right? Extreme evil. I would have never thought of enormity that way. And so the correct usage would be the enormity of the terrorist brought bombing brought bystanders to tears. The enormousness of the homework assignment required several hours of work. Pretty different, right? How about this word? Fortuitous. Fortuitous. I just like saying that word. Fortuitous. Okay? And I'll bet you probably think like I do. You know what fortuitous means. But check it out. Fortuitous means coincidental or unplanned and does not mean fortunate. How many of you thought it was fortunate? Be honest now. Okay, I did. I thought that's what fortuitous meant. All right, so correctly used to be running into my old friend was fortuitous. It was coincidental or unplanned. Okay, I, it was fortunate I had a good amount of savings after losing my job. You got the idea there? Okay, and then our last one, our last one is lions. Lions means king of the jungle. It does not mean a football team that wins games. So let's read it correctly, all right? The lion seeks its prey. It does not mean the lion's defeated, insert name here, okay? So we all kind of get the idea, right? We get the idea that in our own language, there are words that we mess up, that we erroneously think of that we think we know what the meaning is and we use it as if that actually is the meaning of that word but we are entirely wrong i would have not ever thought enormity enormity meant evil okay we do that with our own language and yet that is the exact same thing that we do i believe with the bible when we read the Bible, if, if we have a hard enough time understanding our language, how much harder is it to read a book that was written in three different languages? It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic, especially in the book of Daniel, okay? You've got three languages there. We have a hard enough time understanding English, let alone trying to read a book that we're translating from three other languages. And so today, our final context, we're fo focusing on linguistics. We're focusing on linguistics, words, okay? Now, here's the thing, is we jump into linguistics and we talk about words. I don't want to make any assumptions, okay? I don't want to make any assumptions, so I'm going to share something with you that maybe some of you didn't know. And it's this. The Bible was not written in English, okay? Just so you know that, the Bible was not written in English. It wasn't written in German. It wasn't written in Latin, okay? It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic, all right? And the interesting thing is that Hebrew and Greek are very different from English in how they work, in how they operate, and how they function, okay? There's a lady by the name of Lois Tverberg. Lois Tverberg, and I'm just take a minute and just tell you that you should write that name down, because Lois Tverberg is an amazing writer who has who has spent years and decades studying scriptural context. 
okay? And, and just on a side note, I've devoured a number of her books, okay? This book right here, Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus, How a Jewish Perspective Can Transform Your Understanding. Fascinating book. Exceptional book. Highly recommend this book. She also wrote the book, uh, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, another fantastic book. She also co-authored the book, Listening to the Language of the Bible, Hearing It Through Jesus' Ears. And just on a, on a side note, I love this book because what it is, it's just Hebrew words. And, and it basically in a page and a quarter, a page and a half, she defines what the Hebrew word has meant throughout Scripture. And then she gives ideas. I actually took this book and I use it as part of my devotional time each day, just about every day. I would, I would do my devotions, read Scripture, and then I would, take, I would take this book and read one word. It was fascinating, okay? And so Lois Tverberg, I highly recommend. You can, buy, you can buy every, all three of these books, you can buy them on Amazon, okay? Which, on the side note, shameless plug, okay? If you do smile.amazon.com and you put in that Lighthouse is the charity you would like to support, uh, Amazon will give a percentage of every sale that's directed to that charity in this case, Lighthouse, they will give a percentage of that sale to Lighthouse. They don't add it to you. They don't add it the, um, um, an amount to your purchase. They just take what you buy and give Lighthouse a percentage of that. So, shameless plug done. Okay, so, Lois Tverberg, in, in, in her book, uh, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, uh, helps us to understand the difference between Hebrew and English. And she says this, Hebrew is a word-poor language. Biblical Hebrew includes only about 8,000 words, okay? Putting that into context, far fewer than the 400,000 or more we have in English. Paradoxically, the richness of Hebrew comes from its poverty. Because the ancient language has so few words, each one is like an overstuffed suitcase, bulging with extra meanings that it must carry in order for the language to fully describe reality. That's helpful, isn't it? That when we're reading Hebrew, we understand that there is so much crammed into each and every word. The Greeks had literally like four or five different words for love, okay? And, 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 and for us, we have 400,000 words or more in the English. We have words that describe other words, Okay? Hebrew is about 8,000 or less than 8,000 words. And so every single word is crammed full of meaning. Okay? And sometimes translating a single word can be very tough. And I'm not even talking about expert translators who have spent their lives studying in school and working on decades of translating different words. I'm talking about someone like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was struggling to help the, the people, Greek-speaking people, understand what a person who lives by the Spirit looks like. And so he's struggling to find this word in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, he struggles to describe what it looks like, what the spirit-lived, filled life looks like. And so he tries to cram all of these words into one. 
I, I love what the authors of mi- misreading the scriptures with Western eyes, misreading scripture with Western eyes, I love what they say about this. They say Paul describes it as a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did you notice that all those words are hyphenated? We hyphenate to join together, right? So he says, he describes it as, as a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control kind of fruit. Paul is not giving us a list of various fruits from which we may pick a few. Rather, he gives us a list of words that circle around the one character of a spirit-filled life he is trying to describe. That, that's where, for us, we even mix up things like that. We look and we read that passage, Galatians 5.22, and we talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Paul did not talk about the fruits of the Spirit. It was not plural. It was singular. Paul was not saying, hey, you can go and there will be a smorgasbord. You pick one or two or three, okay? You know, and a lot of us, yeah, peace, patience, kindness. I like those three. Those are mine. No. What Paul was saying, singular, is that when you love the Lord and you're a disciple of Jesus, living within the context of God's word, then your life exhibits a word that I don't have. All I can do is run together a whole bunch of words. Peace, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's all of those things and more. I just don't have the word for it. That was the Apostle Paul trying to find a way to communicate to the Greek-speaking world what the life of a follower of Jesus looks like when they're filled with the Spirit. And because each and every Hebrew word, when you're working with 8,000 words versus 400,000 or more words, those words are crammed full, which gives leeway for the different people translating from Hebrew to English. And because we, we hear that and see that, we have to remember that each translation is an interpretation of those words. Because there are multiple options available to the translator. What the translator is doing is trying to determine what that passage of scripture is saying and how they can translate it. So, so some of us here today, we may look at it and go, well, man, if there's options there, is my Bible legit? I mean, if there's different ways to translate those words, I mean, is the Bible I'm reading legitimate? And the fact of the matter is, the answer to that is yes, absolutely. Because the people who are translating those words are experts in translation. They have studied for years and decades Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, which if I can step off to the side for a second and just say those are not dead languages, those languages are still spoken by Jews. So, so, so we understand that it's not a dead language, like Latin that, that has gone away. We still study it, but nobody really uses it, okay? But Hebrew, Greek, and Hebrew and Greek especially have been passed on. There's a line that goes all the way back to that time when they were first used. We can translate it because people are around who know what that word means. And so we translate those words, and yes, you can, you can absolutely trust your Bible. The people who have interpreted the Bible are brilliant. I, I love what Brad writes. 
in his book. He says, just be aware that different translators translate passages differently. And each translation is approaching the translation process from a different perspective with, a different, with different objectives. And what we've got to understand is this. Different versions don't, in, don't interpret differently the substance of that verse, okay? The different versions emphasize different things. And that may be a little hard to understand, but out of the huge options that they have for those words and what they mean, they can look at the situation and tailor what that scripture says to what they're trying to describe. The, the essence or the core of those verses doesn't change. Let, let me just, let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about, okay? In Matthew, in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, what Christians commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. In the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus presents the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, okay? And in verse 3, in the NIV, it says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Probably the most common way to read this, right? If you've heard this or read it this way, just slide your hand up real quick. Raise it up high, okay? Most of us here, we've read it this way, okay? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the New International Version, okay? Let's read another version, the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let me ask you something. Between the NIV and the, and the New Living Translation, is the core of the message the same? Yes or no? Yes, right? But it's said differently. Why? Because the New Living Translation, what it's trying to do is put it into, to say it in such a way that it's easier for the, the, the modern American, the modern English-speaking person, to be able to identify with understand. There's a subject there's an action word. God is in there, okay? And so it's making it so that we can understand a little bit better. Let's go on. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says the poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. A different twist. Same essence, same core, a little bit different. This next one is my favorite one. It's from the Amplified Bible. Check out what it says. Blessed, happy to be envied. Happy, I'm sorry, to be envied. And spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit, the humble, who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Amplified Bible, its goal is to help us to understand, kind of like that overstuffed suitcase, which I think is a fabulous example and illustration of what the Hebrew words do when Lois Tverberg talks about that. When you think of an overstuffed suitcase, what do you think about? It's just bulging up, right? Stuff hanging out the sides. That's what those Hebrew words are. The Amplified Bible gives you an idea of, of those options that are available in the Hebrew. Now, is the core and the essence of what Matthew 5, 3 says in the other versions, is it there? Absolutely, right? But it's just said a little bit differently because it's trying to emphasize something different. And that's what different Bibles do. That's what they do. That's why they're there. The essence is there. It's just changed a little bit different for the audience and for the purpose. So here would be my suggestion to you as we talk about 
understanding the words of the Bible, diving in a little bit deeper to understand the context of the verbiage, the linguistics of the Bible. It's very simple. This is a great starting place, okay? And let me just step back and say this. I know for some of us that we have looked at this series, and we go, man, this is really incredible. And we look at the different lenses that we can look through to understand context better. The geography, the history, the culture, the genre, the visual part, and now linguistics. And it would be really easy for for a lot of us to go, this is too overwhelming for me. There's too much here. I can't do it. No, 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 you can do it. You can. You just got to start. If you've been here at Lighthouse for any length of time, you know that one of my very favorite quotes comes from the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. And Lao Tzu said, the beginning of the journey of a thousand miles begins with just one, what? Step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. That's all you got to do is just start. Just start. Here's an easy way with the linguistic part to start. Just, just read that passage of scripture in different versions. In different versions. It will give you a more well-rounded idea of what that passage is trying to say. And maybe you'll look at it and you'll say, I will use the NIV because that's what I usually use. And I'll use the message because that's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson that puts it into modern linguistics. And I'll use the, the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is probably the most accurate to the original language. Boom. You've got a really great understanding of what that passage of Scripture is saying. You've taken one step. And once you begin to do that, then you take another step. Okay? My friends, it is not good enough to just read one or two verses and check it off the list. Start. Just take a step and begin. Let me just share with you some of the, the versions that I use. Okay, The New American Standard Bible. Fantastic. The NIV. That's my go-to. When it, a lot of times when I'm using scripture on the screen, I use the NIV. Okay, Very accurate. Very accessible to us. Um, the ESV. English Standard Version. I just talked about it. One of the most accurate to the original language. Okay, That would be a great investment for you. To, to buy, simply buy an ESV version. Okay, the message. I, I love the message. I'm hit and miss, actually, kind of with the message. There's some things that I love about the message, and there are some times where I'm like, ah, no, no, the NIV says it better. But it's a great way to look at it from today's perspective and the way we talk today. And then, two, I've been investing more and more in Jewish translations. Okay, I just went online to smile.amazon.com. Just, I'm not trying to... Um, but I went there and I just this morning bought another translation, okay, that uses the original Jewish, uh, the, a Jewish translation. And I know for some of us that we look at it and, and we think, well, man, you know, that's going to that's gonna cost me some money. No, it doesn't have to. In fact, if you look inside uh, of your bulletin, there should be a card that looks exactly like this. Will you pull that out, please? Pull that out. And on that card for today, you can look down at the bottom, and it says other resources. At the top of it, it's got links to, uh, to Brad's at, at walkingthetext.com, his teaching videos, which how many of you have watched any of the teaching videos? Raise your hand high if you've watched any of them. Fascinating, aren't they? They're phenomenal. I was, I was talking with Justin. He was telling me that he listens to them while he drives, and he said you've listened to like 30 of them, right? I mean, they are phenomenal, okay? But at the bottom, you can see there's other resources available, and you don't even have to pay for them, 
All right, you, you've got free online software programs from NetBible at Bible.org. And let me tell you, BlueLetterBible.org is fantastic because for free it gives you access to commentaries. It gives you access to, to uh, different ways to access the, the original Greek and Hebrew words, okay? And I know some of us go, wow, that's a lot. But it's free, and you begin to understand the context of Scripture, Okay? Because here's the thing, it takes work. It takes work. I can tell you right now, Sean and I just two weeks ago today celebrated 29 years of marriage. Can I tell you something? I am happier now than I've ever been. Have we had our problems? Yes, we have. She's probably had more problems with me than I have, okay? But we've had our problems, we've had our issues, we've had our arguments, we've had our times. We, but I am happier today. I am more pleased, fulfilled, content than I've ever been. Can I tell you something? That relationship took and takes work. It takes work. Why would we think any less of our relationship with God? I can't, I can't base my marriage on reading a book about Sean and looking at pictures although I do like looking at pictures of her, I wouldn't base the relationship because I want to see the real thing, right? Why would we not base our relationship on God the same way? That we spend time and effort and energy and resources to invest in the most singular, significant relationship that you have. It is the only relationship that will lead to life. The only relationship that leads to eternal life. It takes work, my friends, and it is so worth it. I know it seems overwhelming maybe to some of us, but it's not. Just take a step. Just begin. Maybe just sit down like the person who sent me that email this week, and maybe you just take 10 or 15 minutes and you sit down and go, okay, what am I going to do in 2020? Maybe I'm not going to focus on all of the contextuality. Maybe I'm going to focus on one. This year, I'm going to take one. I'm going to look at the linguistic or I'm going to look at the cultural context. And you invest in books that talk about the cultural context. Or I want to know the archaeology. You invest in the archaeological Bible. There is such a thing. I have one if you want to look at it. Maybe this year you pick one. Or you pick two. Don't get overwhelmed. Because this is the way that you learn who God is and what his expectations are of you. I will end with where we started. A.W. Pink's quote, where he says, the Bible does not yield its meaning to lazy people. One convictional idea is that I believe that the United States is filled with lazy people. And I don't want Lighthouse to be that group. I want us to know the word of God. And when I say no, I mean know the word of God so that we can make a difference in our community, so we can be the disciples that God created us to be, to impact the 61% of Kalamazoo who doesn't know Jesus. I believe in you. I believe that you can do it. More than that, God believes in you. That's why he gave you the book. Make sure you read it in its context so that you know God and you know you. Would you stand up with me? The band's going to come up, and we're going we're to close with a song.
Father, we just come to you this morning grateful to you for how you have provided for us what we need to know you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can understand that while the the Bible wasn't written to us, it was written for us. We can understand that while the Bible was not written to our culture, nor does it take our culture into its context, the Bible is relevant to our culture and context today. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters the same way I pray for myself, that we would do the work, that we would not be lazy people. God, that we wouldn't let this knowledge and understanding sit around and 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 become stagnant in our brains, but we would do something about it. We would make the investment so that we can know you and show you to a community that desperately needs it. God, I love you. I thank you and bless you and praise you. And I pray these things in my Savior's name. Amen.